From the EPR Creation Studio, this is once again the Unconquered Podcast. I'm Jason Staples, and I suppose when I'm starting to get a few uh, questions about, hey, have you discontinued the podcast, it's time to come out with a new episode. Let's be honest, I, I, haven't, um, I haven't expected there to really be a season this year, and uh, it wasn't clear until just the last probably two, three weeks that... that the ACC was really going to move forward and try to do this in the fall. I'm still fairly skeptical, but hey, we've got stuff to talk about finally. I just don't believe in wasting everybody's time talking about all sorts of stuff. And the last thing I want to do is talk about coronavirus stuff, which you're going to get plenty of everywhere else. So I'm not going to waste everybody's time. That said, lots of good stuff to talk about now. And uh, I have been working on collecting some film to uh, to be able to, to to break down. It's been a little tricky to get get my hands on some things, but uh, still still been actually rather difficult to get my hands on any of Fuller's All-22 defensive stuff. If anybody out there has any of that, please, uh, please feel free to share. Uh, I'd like to be able to break some of that down on uh, Patreon. Still got a lot more to do there, but uh, wanted to wait until the season, basically, until there was some indication that there was something to look forward to. Well... We're there, so this is a this is a good thing. As always, this show brought to you by EPR Creations. In this in these uncertain times, which I'm sure is how everybody's emails uh, are coming in at this point, but in these uncertain uncertain times, EPR Creations is exactly who you want to work with to partner with you. If you're a small business, you're going to need more online presence now than ever because people are are doing everything online. Nobody's doing anything in person. EPR Creations partners with small businesses for website development and online strategy planning. If you need an improved internet presence, which let's face it, most of us do, call EPR Creations, let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast. All right. So first thing to talk about is the schedule being released and uh, the ACC not doing doing Florida State a whole lot of favors in terms of how this all shook out both in terms of uh, four opponents having bye weeks before Florida State and all four of them being good opponents, and also trading two probable non-conference wins, that's Boise State and West Virginia. West Virginia, I, I really felt like Florida State, even coming off of not having the spring to to install the new systems and everything, I just don't think West Virginia is going to be very good this year. And I thought that that was a really good chance for a, a, a solid, solid looking open uh, opening win that that would have been really good for Florida State and good for the for the Norvell era to establish uh, some confidence with the current roster and also to be able to show some proof of concept in recruiting, which they're going to desperately need, because quite frankly, there's just not a whole lot of momentum in recruiting and you can't really you can't set your pitch and 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 attract a bunch of people when you're when you're not getting the chance to actually visit schools, you're not getting a chance to build relationships and all of that. This is a very 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 hard thing for any first year coach. Uh I really feel for any any first year coach in the in the current situation because uh it's pretty much the worst of all worlds. You you're not getting time to install your system. You're not getting opportunities to build the relationships and recruiting that you need. I mean, really, you got to think about it. Norvell's going to have essentially three transition classes in a row because of the inability to to build relationships, even moving forward to the 2022 class. 
you, you can't do a whole lot. If you're not in person, if you're not able to travel to, to schools, if you're not able to see any of these kids with your staff and all of that with, without any, uh, any summer camps and all of those things, these are all things that, that new coaches use to establish themselves with, uh, with players. And there's just none of that. So this is a very, very hard thing. And then you trade an, uh, uh, an easier opening matchup with a, with a brand team though, a team that, that, Gives a little cachet if you do win, win, win convincingly. And West Virginia is coming into the season. Their SP plus rating, it's only 64th. They're ranked 64th. So, I mean, that was a, that was a game that Florida State, I felt really good about going into that. And that gets dropped. And the Boise State game gets dropped. And the Boise game was one, again, if you watch them last year, Florida State was physically a lot better than Boise State. But that was Florida State got taggarded in that game. And if they could just avoid getting taggarded in, in that game, you're looking at another game that they really should win. And to me, you're trading two probable wins for what a, a loss that's even more probable than those wins would have been. And that's Notre Dame. So that's not good. Then you're trading another of your easiest games, another mo- a likely win, though not a guaranteed win, Wake ranked 81st in SP plus for a probable loss. North Carolina ranked 17th in SP plus and North Carolina's offense is going to be filthy. Good. We'll talk about that a little bit later. That that's not ideal. And then you trade an even easier win Syracuse in they're They're ranked 95th in SP plus coming into the year for a, a game. You should win, but a game that, that it's a team that's a third better in SP plus Duke ranked 69th. So, I mean, there's a pretty big difference between the 95th best team in the country and the 69th best team in the country. They're essentially in different quartiles and the 69th best team is going to be able to stick with you longer. They have more upset potential. So, I mean, you're looking at that schedule and you're basically, you're probably adding two losses to what you would expect. And you're losing say three wins. Now, dropping Florida does help. The ACC didn't do FSU a whole lot of favors, but the SEC did Florida State a favor there by by eliminating the the non-conference. The ACC basically tried to manipulate the SEC into maintaining those interconference rivalries. And the SEC said, yeah, not really. No, no, thanks. We're just going to we're going to stay in conference anyway, and, and we'll go with it. So find find Florida State, I'm sure. Now, you know, Florida as as usual is the one that essentially was respond more responsible for chickening out but it does benefit florida state more so that that's a plus now you got to wonder what that does to you know home home and away timing and all of this there's going to be a lot of after effects from the covid-19 season this year moving forward for years to come and it's there's going to be a lot of unraveling that's going to happen and the thing is, we still don't know whether there's going to be a, a similar situation even going into next year. I mean, we don't know how long this this current state of affairs is going to last. And that's something that I think a lot of people have not really adequately thought about. I mean, are we looking at having similar a similar breakdown for next year? And unless there's uh, unless there's some breakthroughs here, that, that's very possible. So <laughs> either way, there's there's going to be a lot of things that, that are going there. Now, in terms of the timing of schedule... Now, I said the ACC didn't do do Florida State a whole lot of favors with the scheduling. As far as the timing of the scheduling went, aside from some of the buys, I did think that Florida State should should kind of be pretty 
pleased with the with the way that the schedule shook out in terms of the order that they're playing teams. If you're going to play a conference team on that schedule, if you're going to play a conference game on that schedule in the opener, I think if you asked Mike Norvell and the Florida State staff which team out of those that they'd want to open with, it would be either Georgia Tech or NC State. And they're opening with Georgia Tech at home. Now, granted, at home doesn't matter as much given that Florida State has announced that it's going to be 20 to 25 percent occupancy, a 20 to 25 percent uh, uh, crowd for uh, for home games. But that's still travel. That's still there still is a benefit to being home. So you're looking at opening at home against Georgia Tech. I think if you're Mike Norvell, you feel pretty good about that. Georgia Tech was not a good football team last year. They're still uh, working on transitioning from the Paul Johnson era into a totally new, totally different system, totally different schemes on both sides of the sides of the ball. And they're still rebuilding in terms of talent. Now, I think that coaching staff is pretty good. And I think they got some some players in the last couple classes that were underrated and that are going to be good players. But Florida State has better players in that game. So they should they should beat Georgia Tech in that game. And, and if they'd had a full spring, you you pick them and you say you feel pretty comfortable about it. With all the things in, that have changed in terms of not having had a full spring, not having the opportunity to install your stuff and get your players to run through it and get used to the level of consistency and, and all of that that you're, that you're expecting from them, it's less likely a win, but you still ultimately, you feel, you feel pretty good about starting with Georgia Tech. And then I really like following Georgia Tech with Samford because that's a game you're going to win. So now you get a, you get a chance to play a team that you, you hopefully beat in that, and you got a good chance to beat in the opener, but it's going to be a competitive one. It's going to show some issues, so show some flaws. And then between that, and then you've got that game, and then in the week following, you can correct a lot of the mistakes. And the old saying among coaches, and, and I've seen this as the case as, as when I've coached myself, is that the most improvement in a season generally happens between, between games one and two, because you actually get to see who you are. You get to see a lot of the mistakes when the bullets start flying, in action. And then you get to correct those going into week two. Well, what's great about having a a cupcake week two is you can correct those mistakes and then start to refine a little bit week two. And then week three, you can get an even bigger jump than you would have because you can correct more stuff. And then week three, you're facing Miami. And I actually like facing Miami earlier this year as well, because they're breaking in a new quarterback. They're breaking in a new offense. So in a lot of respects, it's even up on that side of the ball. They're they're dealing with a lot of a lot of the same stuff that Florida State is on that side of the ball in terms of changed systems, changed all sorts of stuff. And then you add to that that they're that they've already lost at least one player who's going to be sitting out uh, and arguably their best player. I think actually it's not all that arguable that Gregory Rousseau is their best player. And that game looks a lot more friendly there than it might later in the year, especially once they get up and rolling with that offense. I think Lashley's a pretty good coordinator actually. And then uh, I think that I think their, their their quarterback, I think Ward's going to be a good player in that system. So I think it's a good place to be playing Miami. If you're going to be playing them, you like playing them right in that, that three slot. And the thing is, if you start three and O all of a sudden the season looks very, very different. All of a sudden Mike Norvell has the buy-in that he needs. All of a sudden, you're able to correct things. And then you get another bye week after Miami. 
And they built a lot of bye weeks into the schedule, I think, because they're expecting that things might have to get pushed back, first of all. And second of all, they want to give teams the opportunity to restructure and do all sorts of stuff, you know, if things have to change due to COVID-19 and different things. They're, they're building a lot of flexibility in the system, into the schedule. And I think it's smart the way that they scheduled. They're, they're trying to start early, earlier than, say, the SEC. They're trying to start earlier, knowing that they may have to push back. And at the same point, if you can start there, but then you have to sort of hesitate and pause for a second, you've got some spaces in the schedule where everybody can move back. And that, that I think, is really smart with how the ACC decided to schedule that. So give them credit for that. Now, if you're looking at the schedule and you're thinking about how, how to break this down, I think you can basically pencil in likely losses to Notre Dame and Clemson, although it's going to be interesting to see who actually sits out from those programs that have a lot of NFL talent. Marvin Wilson's already said, look, I didn't, I didn't come back. I didn't skip the draft last year. I didn't come back to college to sit out. So good for Marvin taking that stance. I mean, and look, there's any, anybody, any decision in this is the right decision ultimately for, for the players. But Marvin making that call is huge for Florida State. And if Marvin, Kando, Hamsa, you know, a series of Florida State's players with NFL, uh, NFL capability stay on the field, and some of the players from other programs don't, all of a sudden Florida State may actually benefit in terms of personnel, comparative personnel, Versus some of the better teams that they play. So we'll, we'll, it'll be interesting to see who sits out from Notre Dame or Clemson. I've already seen also uh, Xavier Thomas got COVID-19 uh, and then strep throat immediately after because his immune system was so weak. Uh, and then he has he's basically so screwed up from all of that. His, his body got uh, got pretty jacked up, as you might expect, and looks like he'll sit out the season due to uh, to that. So another player that, I mean, that's, the two best edge rushers probably that Florida State's playing this year, uh, along with a couple of the guys from Pitt, two of the, say, three or four best edge rushers Florida State's playing this year are sitting out. And considering Florida State's weakness, biggest weakness is an offensive tackle, that's a break. That's that's a good break. Now, obviously, you don't want to root for anybody to get COVID-19. And, uh, you know, hopefully Thomas and anybody else who's who's gotten it uh, they're able to to overcome that and and well wishes for all that health. But again, that's that's a break for Florida State. That's a break for for where they're at. So odds are, though, they're going to lose to Notre Dame and Clemson. So you just assume that they're going to start with two losses. You pencil those in. If they get an upset win at one of those, that's huge. And you expect them to beat Samford, NC State, and Duke. And you would put and you put Georgia Tech on that expected win too, but I think as an opener, you just don't know what you're going to get. There's a lot of uncertainty there. So, really, to me, you expect them to win against Samford, NC, NC State, and Duke, and then you've got six games that are going to determine the season's success or failure for Mike Norvell: Georgia Tech, Miami, North Carolina, Louisville, Pitt, and UVA. Those are the six games that are going to that are going to determine whether this season is a success or failure. So. If you get the three wins that you're supposed to get, Samford, NC State, Duke. To me, the keys to the season from there are the Georgia Tech opener. You, you, we all saw what happened when a very confident, overconfident, brash, undisciplined team went out there and laid an egg in the first game of the Taggart era. And what that did to that team's buy-in, what that did to that team's collective conscience and to their confidence 
Mike Norvell knows how important it's going to be to get this team bought in right away. It's a fragile group. So if you go in and you're able to get a win against Georgia Tech, those, those players buy into your stuff. So that's a, that, that might be the most important game of the season, the opener. Partly because it might be the only game that gets played. Who knows? But you beat Georgia Tech. Now you've got four wins likely on your schedule. Samford, NC State, Duke, and Georgia Tech. Four wins. From there, you've got that the next most important thing. The key stretch is the Notre Dame-UNC-Louisville stretch. If you can go 2-1 and one in that stretch, probably losing to Notre Dame, but if you can beat North Carolina and Louisville, all of a sudden you're at six wins. And the rest of the season's gravy. I mean, that would be amazing for, for Florida State to be there in terms of not having installed everything. That's really where you're, you're going to see see things go. And you can't go 0-3 there. If you go 1-2, and you're still okay. You're still five wins, and you've still got an opportunity to get to six, seven wins on the season if you can beat one of Notre Dame, UNC, and Louisville. And really, it's between UNC and Louisville, most likely, there that you're, that you're potentially going to get a win. So to me, that's the keys to the season. And, you know, if you're able to if you're able to to add another couple, I mean, there's some toss up games here. I think Miami better team overall than Florida State. But with Rousseau out, that limits them a little bit more. And yes, Monk is uh, is going to be a, a really good edge rusher, too. But it's a whole lot easier to scheme around one than it is to scheme around two. Ask anybody that played the 96 Florida State team or the 97 Florida State team. When you've got bookends that are both that good, you can't scheme around it. Well, now all of a sudden you can start to, you can slide protection. You can chip a little bit. You can do a lot of stuff that you couldn't do before. So that's, that's a big benefit. But if you're able to, to get that, I think that makes that game a little closer to a toss up, especially at the third slot on the season. I would favor North Carolina right now just because I think their offense is going to be really, really good. And, and, and Sam Howell at quarterback, I would favor over Florida State's likely options there. Although, again, it's very possible that, that you could see Purdy as the, as the starter. And his upside is kind of unknown right now. He could end up being better than anything Florida State's got. I mean, if he turns into Howell from last year, all of a sudden Florida State's got a real chance in that game. And... The other thing is North Carolina is not very good on the defensive line, so that's going to be a strength versus strength game. Florida State with some quality talent in the secondary, some quality talent on the defensive line, matching up against a really good uh, North Carolina offense, and then North Carolina basically having a, I don't want to say FCS level, but they're not they're not a they're not a uh, a top level Power Five defensive line. They're they're a mid to bottom end defensive line in the ACC and Florida state being a bottom end of the ACC offensive line. That's weakness against weakness matched up there. Uh, so it's strength versus strength, weakness against weakness against, against uh, UNC. That one should be a very competitive game. Louisville should be a very competitive game as it was last year. Pitt. I'm interested to see what happens with a couple of those guys that are, that are very clear pro, uh, Pro talent, NFL talent at the uh, at the defensive line. Very interested to see whether anybody on that defensive line sits out. If they don't, Florida State's going to have a hard time blocking them. I mean, they're just going to have a hard time blocking them. Period. But Pitt also is going to have a hard time scoring. So 
looking at a low scoring game that probably favor Pitt due to that defensive line, but eh, it's close. UVA, again, I think that's close to a toss up. So you, you've got a chance there. If you can if you can beat the, that Georgia Tech team early, you get your Samford, NC State, and Duke games as wins. There's probably four toss-ups on the schedule from there. Maybe five. And at that point, if you just split the toss-ups, you're at six or seven wins. Feel pretty good about that. Now, we, we should talk a little bit more about, about some of the players sitting out and the impact of COVID-19 on the season. Because the thing is, the players who are opting out, that's not the only impact that COVID-19 is going to have on the season. Players are going to get are going to get sick during the season. And if they're going to actually play this season out, that's going to mean that not only that player, but at, at oftentimes others that, that that player is in close contact with on the regular basis, roommates, if this is a defensive lineman, for example, offensive lineman and other, other defensive linemen that that defensive lineman is going up against every day in practice, they may get quarantined. I mean, you're talking about bl- chunks of teams getting, getting quarantined. So imagine this, that you have, say, a defensive end from a team that they're going through drills that are contact drills in close quarters every day with other defensive linemen. And that guy gets a positive test. And then, you know, you follow that up immediately to make sure that that's not a, a false positive. But that guy comes down with it. And all of a sudden you've got contact with three or four other guys on the defensive line that are every day paired up with that guy. This is something that if you're a coach, you're starting to think about, okay, so we need to make sure that we pair these two guys up in practice when they're doing contact drills and only these two guys in those drills. That way, if one of those guys gets gets sick, we only lose those two guys. But you don't say pair up Kando and Janarius Robinson to do any drills together because if one guy gets sick, the other guy gets quarantined. <laughs> you want to make sure that those guys each have say a walk on or, or some uh, backup at another position that is paired with them. So that if you lose those two, you still have the other guy, right? So this is the sort of logistics that you're thinking through as a, as a coach, if you're an organized coach, and I know for a fact that Norvell is, if you're an organized coach, that's the sort of thing you're doing. You know, you're making sure that the same DBs are going up against the same receivers on a regular basis. And, and that it's not always starter on starter, Maybe you got starters going against number twos and it's always the same two guys when, when you're, when you're doing bump and run or certain blocking drills and things like that, just so that look, we can't lose these two guys at the same time. If, if there's two guys, you can't lose at the same time. Those guys aren't roommates and those guys are not paired up together in practice pretty much anytime you can help it. So players are going to get it. And that's that's going to then force teams to have to deal with the with 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 these things as though, you know, you're looking at season ending injuries and things like that. And that's going to emphasize the importance of depth. Deeper programs are going to be are going to be benefited all year this year. So if you've got a lot of quality depth and if you've got a quality walk on program, you're you're at an advantage here. And this is where, you know, especially defensively, if you've got a lot of depth and, and interchangeable players and positional flexibility, scheme flexibility, you're benefited. So it's going to be interesting. And, and that's why you're going to cross. You're going to see more cross training, even though there are these are new systems and all that. You're going to see a lot of cross training in a lot of programs. And you're going to see Jaden Woodby lined up at the stud linebacker. You're going to see him lined up at boundary safety. You're going to see him lined up, you know, some 
all sorts of places. Why? Because he needs to be able to play several of those spots. You're going to need you're going to need to see Amari Gaynor at defensive end. You're going to need to see Gaynor at stud linebacker. You're going to need to see one of the one of the defensive tackles step out to defensive end at different points. Why? Because you just have to be ready in case somebody goes down. So it's it's going to be this is going to be a fascinating season to study. A fascinating season to see how coaches and programs and all of that deal with the uncertainty and also deal with the inevitable attrition that's going to happen. So, because you're going to try to keep things as simple as possible while also building in as much flexibility as possible. And those things are not usually things that go together. So, I'm going to move into the second part of the program. I've got a few questions that uh, have come in recently that I want to get to before uh, before I wrap up. Before I do that, I want to thank the second sponsor of the show, and that is Shenandoah Newsma from Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill and Carborough, North Carolina. And as I've filled orders for the stickers, which if you want stickers, I've also got some magnets that are about to go up for sale. Uh, the Rise sticker has been really popular, so I ordered some magnets for that, so you can put them on your car and all sorts of other places. Some pretty cool stuff going in the Unconquered uh, podcast shop. But uh, as I've filled orders for some of that stuff, I've been surprised by how many listeners this podcast has in North Carolina. And if you or anyone you know is looking for a realtor in the Research Triangle area, Shenandoah Newsma is the best in the business. My wife and I worked with her when we were looking for a house a few years ago. She sits the, she sets the standard by having every bit of information possible uh, to help her clients. How many people, how many realtors have a PhD? Well, she does. And her research, her level of research backs that up. You definitely want to work with Shannon. Her information's in the show notes. Tell her you heard about her from the Unconquered podcast. If you have any need for real estate or if you're going to sell, do anything like that. Or friends are going to do that in the Research Triangle area. All right, so getting to getting to a few questions here. First of all, uh, do you really think the season will start a week late, or will get will do you think it will get delayed more? Right now, I think it's fifty fifty. And if I'm going to flip a coin, I'm looking around for a coin. I don't have a coin on me. I'm going to say I think they're going to start the season. They're going to they're. This is so important money-wise for these schools that they're going to do everything possible to start the season. And I, I think right now, as things go, unless we see a bit of a shock, they're going to start the season. And I think they'll start on the on the schedule time when, the, when we're looking, uh, as scheduled. Do I think the, that they're going to be able to get through the whole season without getting shut down from the virus? That I think is less likely because um, I think we're going to see a bit of a, a wave of, of the virus once the fall starts and people are getting more and more impatient and frustrated and you're getting universities opening and all of these other things. I, I, I suspect that you're going to see a bigger wave. And if I was a betting man, uh, and this is what another one of the questions, if I was a betting man, I would say that uh, Florida State probably plays under six games before before things change. But that could be wrong. I think there's just so much uncertainty here. I would be I would be surprised if everything goes according to plan and and plays out on this on this schedule line. I would be pleasantly surprised. I don't think it's impossible, but I think there's a lot of uncertainty that that people are trying to figure out and and uh I I don't think there's an easy way to project any of this. All right, the next question. With the new 10 game schedule. It's now 11 because of the uh because of the uh, 
edition of Samford. Can you see Florida State winning ten or uh, six or seven games with the uh, with the team and the new staff? I think so. Yeah, I think if I was gonna if I, if I was gonna guess, I would peg Florida State's most likely record at right around six games, six six and a half. I would say just maybe just under six and a half. Uh, again, beat Samford, NC State, and Duke. I think I think you can. Those are all probably 70% or, like, or, or higher likelihood. Win three of the six against Georgia Tech, Miami, North Carolina, Louisville, Pitt, and UVA. And I think all told, those games are all in the under 60% range either way. So you can kind of factor those six games as coin flips. So if you can just break even, win three of the six, that's six wins. So you beat Samford, NC State, and Duke. Win three of the six against... Georgia Tech, Miami, UNC, Louisville, and Louisville, Pitt, and UVA. And you're at six games. Now, if you win, if you if you win one more than you would expect in the toss-ups, you're at seven wins. And look, if, if Florida State gets to seven wins this year, Florida State fans should be excited about what they've got in, in Mike Norvell. That, that would be, I think, a pretty big accomplishment. Not having had a chance to install your stuff, no spring, limited summer all the other limitations in play, it's just such a huge disadvantage. And, and coaches around the country talk, have talked about this. If it, it is such a huge disadvantage to be a year one coach this year. So if Florida State wins seven wins against the schedule, Florida State fans should be thrilled. If they win eight games against the schedule, they need to be starting plans for a new statue outside of Doak Campbell because that, 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 would, be, that would be something else. Eight wins against the schedule would be crazy. So, next question. Do you see all ACC teams actually playing football this fall? They're sure as heck going to try. I'm still skeptical that they're going to pull off the whole season, but they're going to try. There's too much money involved. And one team is not going to drop out when the other ones, when the other ones are still playing. That's just, that's, I don't think that's going to happen. Okay. uh, Final few questions. Uh, Which unit, and I've gotten this from quite a few people. Which unit do you think will be more improved with this staff, offense or defense? Now, I think this is a different question if, you, if you're talking short-term or long-term. So to me, I believe in Norvell as an offensive coach more than I believe in Fuller as a defensive coordinator. Uh, I, I, I've broken down both guys in terms of their film, in terms of their past, and both, both are good coaches. Norvell, I think, is if not elite, bordering on an elite offensive coach, offensive mind. You're looking at somebody who's going to always find ways to put points on the board. The, the run game schemes that he has, the way that he adjusts his, his, his schemes to personnel, uh, the way that he makes things simple for his quarterbacks, just the way that they coach it and teach it, they're going to be successful on offense. It's, he's going to have success long-term on offense, and it's going to be really good. Fuller is a good defensive coordinator. A lot of the same schemes that Mike Elko basically runs, and he's an Elko disciple, but he's basically running a lot of the stuff that Elko runs. Elko, the guy that is currently the defensive coordinator at Texas A&M under, under Jimbo Fisher, was at Notre Dame, did a great job at Notre Dame. Before that was one of the guys that gave Fisher the most trouble at when he was at Wake Forest. Fuller's a really good defensive coordinator, but when I've watched at different points, there have been some things that have been frustrating at times defensively, and I think that's probably going to persist. I just don't think he's on the elite level of a defensive coordinator like Norvell is 
as an offensive coach. That said, in the short term, I think the defense this year, presuming again we play that we see the season play out, I think the defense this year is going to be the more improved unit. And it's going to be an, um, an obvious improvement. Partly because they're asking guys to do things that are more aligned with their skill sets. There were some square pegs asked to do some round things last year. And they were asked to do that with no real prep. So, I mean, you're basically installing new stuff in camp, just like you're doing this year, but installing stuff that doesn't really even suit guys and doesn't actually suit the the rest of the staff. The, the, The staff didn't really even understand what they were running. So... That that was that was not a good situation. And I think with the with the personnel that they've got, with guys like Marvin Wilson, if Kando's even remotely close to if he plays anywhere close to his potential, Janarius, you've got you got the front four. That front four is as good as any in the in the conference, close to as good as any in the country. You've got a ton of talent on that defense. But there were there was just so much uh It was not, again, I don't want to blame the coordinator last year. And talking to guys within the program, they'll they'll tell you that the coordinator last year was, was scapegoated. But from the top down, there was so much discontinuity and so much uh, confusion on the defensive side of the ball that it just filtered down and, and guys weren't able to play fast. They weren't able to play free. They, it was, it was just a, it was a mess. And I think a more unified, a more united and, also simpler approach to what they're doing defensively and turning some of these guys loose to, to wreak some havoc up front. I think they're going to be a lot better defensively just as a result of that. And frankly, last year's defense was terrible. And when you look at the rate at, at the relationship of how bad that defense was compared to the talent that they trotted out there, it was inexcusable. I think the, you know. I don't think they'll quite live up to the talent on the field because it's one of the most talented defenses in the country, player for player. I don't know that you know we're going to expect to. I wouldn't expect to see a you know top ten, top five defense like what you might expect if you had Nick Saban having coached this defense for a couple of years. That talent would be out. They'd be performing out of, out of their minds under that kind of defensive system if they'd been in it for a couple of years. There's going to be some hiccups. There's going to be some sloppiness. And especially with all of the various things that we're, that we're seeing in terms of there's going to be a lot less contact in practice as, as coaches are making sure that players don't get exposed to uh, potential carriers and all of this. There's going to be more sloppiness in terms of tackling. This might be the sloppiest year in terms of tackling you'll ever see. But even with that, even accounting for that, I think this defensive, defensive uh, unit is going to be significantly more improved offensively Bryles and Clements were good coaches that was a that, that was a good group of coaches on the offensive side I mean Dugans is still the wide receivers coach and he's a good coach so there's less room to improve relative to your talent on the offensive side compared to last year I think they'll be better because I think the I think some of the limitations that were imposed on Bryles and Clements and also, some of the things that were square peg round holeish in terms of of personnel based on that system, some of that stuff's going to be going to go away. So it's possible that we see a little bit of improvement. But I think offensively, you can kind of expect the offense to be pretty comparable to what you saw last year. A little better in some areas, a little worse in other areas. 
And, you know, with it being essentially the fourth offensive system in four years, there's going to be some mistakes. There's going to be sloppiness just as a result of that. So I think it's going to take a little bit to see the the full payoff of Norvell and his system on the offensive side. I think you're going to see an instant change on the defensive side, but exactly how much better it's going to get after that, I think, is is the bigger question. So hopefully that answers that question. I'm going to go ahead and, uh, yeah, I think... I think I can go ahead and wrap there. I've, I've got plenty more to, to talk about here as, uh, as camp is getting started. We'll have lots of, uh, lots of stuff to, uh, to discuss. Hopefully, we're going to have a season to talk about really soon. So before I, before I take off, I want to thank the other sponsors of this show. As you always know, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville. If you need to do any work in Jacksonville on the real estate market, Lewis is the person to go through best in the business when it comes to the online aspect of the real estate stuff. And and in terms of staging and marketing your house, there's nobody better. And also Garage Makeover is a top rated garage remodeling company in South Florida. You're spending a lot more time at home right now. Why not make sure that your garage is a place that you actually uh, get the most out of? Talk to Nathan and and the group over at Garage, Garage Makeovers. If you're in the Palm Beach and Broward County area, let them know that you heard about them from the Unconquered Podcast. As always, this show brought to you by EPR Creations. I want to thank also the sponsors above the bleach numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. I'll have some good content coming your way. Thanks for all your patience on that. It's been a wild summer, everybody. And as always, make sure to catch our next podcast. I'm Jason Staples. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. Thanks for listening.